0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Our Bible reading today is from Psalm 65. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Although it's compiled into one, one book we call the Psalms, which then divides into five books, the kinds of songs we find can be so different from one another. There are some Psalms lamenting how terrible things are, which I imagine many of us would relate to while we're at lockdown at home, asking questions like, why God? How long will you wait? Um, We all feel this grief and lament from time to time. And the great things about the Psalms is that they sort of give words to how we're feeling on the inside. Maybe when we can't find the words ourselves. And yet there are other Psalms praising God for his goodness and for his blessings. And as strange as it may seem, I'm sure for many of us, or at least uh, for me, it's these Psalms which are hardest to sing at times. Sometimes they feel so far from our lived experience. I mean, it's hard to sing praise when you can't visit your families. It's hard to thank God for blessings when your business is being battered or you've lost your job. How could we possibly sing God's praise when the air we're breathing at the moment is so thick with fear and tiredness and loneliness and discouragement. For some of us who might be confused or even angry, The psalms of praise actually serve to remind us of who God is and what God has done. And though we may initially, as we read this psalm, be stumbling over it with hearts far from the deep joys they express, perhaps as we turn our hearts towards God who is worthy of praise, we might begin to delight again in his goodness. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that it is living and breathing and life-giving. And we pray that as we worship you in the reading of this psalm, that it would truly turn our hearts to praise. Lord, we pray that your spirit will be with us, building us up and encouraging us to the glory of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, our psalms this morning, uh, Psalm 65, is a psalm of praise most likely sung at the beginning of spring as the people of Israel prepared for harvest. And it begins with this statement in verse one, praise is due to you, O God in Zion. Now this verse is actually quite difficult to translate because of the Hebrew word that we read there as due. Some Bibles read that as praise awaits you or praise belongs to you because the Hebrew word actually means silence. So some other Bibles might read, silence is praised to you, or you are praised with silence. That's not to say that God doesn't like music, because this is a psalm and it's designed to be sung. Um, But the idea of being before God in silence is a powerful one. Old Testament scholars suggest that silence before God is a symbol of content, of surrender, of awe. The beginning of this psalm paints for us a picture of the Israelites in the temple, in Jerusalem, so blown away by God's goodness that there are no words to say. Charles Spurgeon writes on this psalm saying, When the soul is most filled with adoring awe, she is least content with her own expressions and feels most deeply how inadequate are all mortal songs to proclaim the divine goodness. And for the Israelites who would have sung this before their harvest, this psalm was composed to set their hearts and our hearts on the God of Israel, who is the creator and sustainer of all things. So the Israelites praise God, singing in verse six, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth an awe at your science, For the ancient world and certainly for Israel at this time, nothing was more intimidating and terrifying than these two things, mountains and seas. Both these things symbolize strength, power, mystery even. No one could go up these wild mountains or deep into the sea, so who would know what's there? And it's no surprise in that these things became linked to the worship of gods who lived in mountains and seas. Uh, Greek and Roman gods lived on Mount Olympus. Many Hindu and other tribal gods lived on Mount Everest. Uh, the Persians got, Persian gods lived in the Alborz mountains. Uh, and yet here in this psalm, the Israelites aren't singing praise to a god who hides on a mountain. But the god who by his strength put the mountains in their places. Who formed them with his own hands. And like them, friends, we don't sing praise to a God who runs from the roaring seas, but the God who stills them. As we read in the gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke, when a storm came over the Sea of Galilee and threatened to destroy the boat the disciples were in, it is Jesus who commands the wind and waves to cease. And why do the winds and waves listen? Well, because they're his. In the book of Genesis, we see in the beginning, God spoke all things into being. The mountains are his, the seas are his, the caves, deserts, skies, all his. Every grain of sand, every flower, every cloud, every rock. Colossians tells us, the book of Colossians tells us, for by him, that is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, And for him. There is nothing in the entire universe that God can't put his finger on and say, that's mine. This time last year, I was getting ready to go to Europe, which seems a world away these days. I mean, I can't even go to Geelong. Not that I'd want to do that. But, anyways, I remember being on the plane passing over some part of Eastern Turkey or Bulgaria or someplace like that. and looking out the window, and all I could see were huge mountains, all a sort of sandy color. And the sun was setting, and the most incredible colors you've ever seen. And as the sun was setting, I could see underneath the plains a tiny little village in the middle of nowhere, turning their lights flickering on as it got darker. And at first I thought, um, why on earth are these people living here? And then a sense of awe washed over me. Everything I could see. The entire mountain range, the lake, the sunset, the clouds, even those families who lived in that tiny village, all belonged to the God of Israel. Jesus is king even of this place. And yet in the psalm, we're not only shown God's ultimate sovereignty and strength over what he has created, but also his great joy in nurturing it. So the psalm continues in verse 9. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river, the river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. It's so easy for us to forget that God takes joy in creation. In the book of Genesis, we see God who, far from creating things out of necessity, just because he has to, he works instead like an artist, making masterpiece after masterpiece, like a gardener tending delicately and carefully. It's so easy for us to see the earth around us as commodities, seeing things in terms of how they can best serve us. But it's important to remember, ultimately, as the psalm tells us, that not only do they belong to God, but they, they are cared for passionately by God. And what's more, they respond to him with shouts of joy. We read on um, in verse 11, you crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow, the hills gird themselves with joy. The, we- the meadows clothe themselves with flocks, the valleys deck themselves with grain they shout and sing together for joy. Creation, knowing it belongs to God, knowing it is cared for by God, come before him singing and dancing, the hills, the pastures, the meadows, wearing their best clothes, praising and dancing and shouting together for joy. It's interesting to note then that at the beginning of the Psalm, the people of Israel who are praising God in Zion are silent, and yet it is creation who is making all the noise. Something that sort of shocked me through this, through this lockdown is how eerie everything seems. I don't know if you've noticed that too. I live in Brunswick, which is normally this place that's full of life, uh, bars, restaurants, coffee shops, all teeming with people almost 24 seven. But to hear it now, especially in the evening, it's like a ghost town, dead silence. And yet, maybe it's in this silence that this psalm invites us to hear perhaps what we've never heard before. This psalm invites us to open our ears to what isn't silence at all. To creation, roaring with praise to the God of the universe. But this God who created the universe, who holds the stars in their places, who establishes mountains and calm seas, he is also tending his creation bringing rain for the harvest, feeding livestock, feeding his people. For those of you like me who haven't grown up on a farm and wouldn't know what a wagon track was if it hit you in the face, um, for an agrarian society like ancient Israel, who relied heavily on farming to sustain themselves, this image is one of absolute ecstasy. Harvest overflowing, flocks all over the meadows, crops being watered abundantly. But God doesn't just care for his people in this way. He tends and cares for creation in even more personal ways. Verse two says, "O you who hear prayer to you, all flesh shall come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. The psalmist here reminds us that God, not only is sovereign over his creation and nourishes it, but he knows it, he loves it. What a blessing it is to know that you are known and that you are loved by your creator. It's also important to note that these verbs, actually all the verbs of this psalm are in the present tense. And in the Hebrew, there's a much stronger sense in which God is actively at work in creation, even now that God doesn't rule this earth from afar, that he hasn't just let go of his creation, that he's not watching from a big chair, somewhere in the sky, just wondering what on earth is going on down there. But that he is near us, he holds us. Even while we trek through the uncertainty of today, he knows us and loves us so intimately that he even hears our prayers, he's listening. What's more, in verse 3, he says, the psalmist says, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. In the context of this psalm, the people of Israel are praising God about the temple in which God atoned for the sins of Israel through the sacrifice of animals. And this, for Israel, was the greatest example of God's relationship with his creation, that through forgiving sins, God could literally dwell with them in the same city in Jerusalem, in the temple. But friends, how greater should our praise be that through Jesus, God doesn't just live in the same city, but he dwells in our very hearts. The atonement that God has provided for us was not an animal, but his own son, Jesus. who wasn't sacrificed on an altar in the temple, but on a cross for us. 1 John tells us that in this, the love of God who was made made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And so the psalm continues in verse 4. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. God, the creator, the king of the universe, who satisfies the earth with water and us with food and harvest, longs to satisfy us ultimately with himself, with his presence. Being reminded through this psalm that God is the creator of all things, Let us come before him in awe and wonder at the works of his hands. And whether we are silent or not, the creation around us cannot stay silent. They can't help but sing and dance for joy. And being reminded of God's goodness, how how could we not join them? I mean, we serve the God who both holds the mountains and hears prayers. The God who calms seas and even forgives sins. And as eerie as the streets may seem at times, as feelings of hopelessness arise, as we move forward, not really knowing what's going to happen next, let's find our hope in the power of God, who knows and delights in all that he has made. Uh, Friends, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the creator. We praise you for... The world that you have created we praise you that you nurture and care for us and we praise you especially for jesus your son and for the forgiveness and life that we received at his sacrifice Um, lord we pray that your spirit will be with us in these days encouraging and comforting us in the knowledge that we are loved and known by our creator lord we pray that you do these things to the glory of your kingdom